Fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. It's time. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming away live on a Thursday all across the web, www.thetcmartinshow.com, as well as here live in Las Vegas, KSHB AM 1400. And it's another loaded-up sports weekend as we get things cranked up down at T-Mobile Arena. Tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights coming off a short road trip that was not too fruitful, let's put it that way, when it came to finding the back of the net. Lighting the lamp, as they say. Not a lot of goals scored. For Nothing, the but zeros. Nothing but zeros. A lot zero, of zeros. Zero. A lot Nothing of zeros. On the board. Yep. That's the voice of the G-Man. You'll be joining us here live in studio. I'm Chris Wynn in for the Dr. T.C. Martin. T.C. Martin is in the Bay, gentlemen. He is there in San Francisco about to hang out at the brand spanking new Chase Center, home of the Golden State Warriors, where they will have the West Region of the NCAA Basketball Championship otherwise known as the Sweet 16. And uh, the team that's uh, very prominent from uh, the West Coast Conference, obviously, Gonzaga, is in that region, the number one seed, number one seed overall. Oh, yep. And uh, they'll be playing a matchup there, as well as you've got the matchup. That's the one re- the two regions, uh, well, excuse me, the one region where it's all chalk. Every single team, the top four seeds in that region, have made it. To the Sweet 16, so... And that's why my bracket's yes. still undefeated. And I'm taking a look at the G-Man's bracket right now. Yeah, there's and a lot of red on the right side. There, there is, I see a lot of red markings, yeah, yeah. my friend, oh, on yeah. there. And you know what? Mine is exactly the same, <laughs> except for this region. Yes. C-Win nailed it when it came to the top four seeds in this region. But it's looking rough, bro, around everywhere else. Everywhere else, On yeah. my bracket. I mean, it is just tough. I had Illinois... Mm. In no. the final four, Uh-oh. they go down. I had Kentucky going pretty deep, as probably a lot of people you know, did. Millions upon millions of people across the country had Kentucky in the mix as well. Too obviously, there were other upsets. Baylor, number one, obviously the defending national champion, Baylor right. Bears, and uh, they were number one seed. They go down because of uh, it's March Madness, right? And craziness happens all the time when Absolutely. it comes to upsets, mm-hmm. and that was the case last weekend. So we'll be talking a lot of NCAA basketball. We'll talk some NBA too with Jamison Welsh, our guest. In the second hour here on the T.C. Martin Show, uh, Jameson wired in all things hoops. And uh, also joining us this hour, we're going to try to line up uh, the doctor, T.C. We're going to find him and figure out exactly where he's going to be. And uh, 3.30, or uh, Numchuck's telling me 3.30 for, uh, for T.C. But uh, also we have Jesse Merritt from News 3 here, a prominent television personality, one yep. of our favorites. He's going to join us, talk a little Raiders. Obviously a ton of stuff going on. In the NFL. Here it's about the time season. that they're doing some stuff. Signings everywhere, yes. G-Man. Yes. All over the place. Especially here in the AFC West, right? We're here, here in Vegas with the Vegas, Vegas Raiders. All kinds of stuff going down with the Chiefs, the Chargers, and of course the Raiders and the Broncos. So we'll dive into that with Jesse as well as the Vegas Golden Knights. So G-Man, looked pretty rough on the road here the past couple of games. 
for the Vegas Golden Knights. This is a team that uh, was pegged when we started the season to be a true contender for a Stanley Cup championship yep. and to make a deep run in the playoffs. Obviously, there's been uh, a lot of skids Ooh. that have been hit here as of late. And uh, make no mistake about it, every team has injuries, right? Every team's had to deal with the whole COVID thing. And uh, we've had, obviously, a number of, because of the trade deadline and all things that have gone on with respect to player personnel, a lot of changes as well, too. With uh, And now you have the scenario with uh, the, Dan- the Dandenoff <laughs> trade that trade, is no, no trade, more. Yeah. And now he's back with the team. Hopefully he's on the ice tonight. I'd like to see him score a couple yeah, goals. That'd be great. That leads him offense run, right? I mean, yeah. this, this is a team that, that you look, they've got guys yes. that can light it up. They have guys offensively that are gifted. When you talk about Marsha So, when you talk about Riley Smith, when you talk about, obviously, Mark Stoney's healthy uh, and uh, Pacioretty, these guys, I mean, they, they, can, they can score goals. Yeah. Okay? But it's just been so hard to come by as of late. Um, I just... I'm surprised about this in the fifth year. Now, when mm-hmm. the Golden Knights came here, I, I told everybody, I said, hey, we'd be lucky to get in the playoffs by, by year five. You know, be, year four, possibly five, yes, maybe. But for them to go to the Stanley Cup in the very first season, they've been to three conference championships in four years. I mean, just totally overachieved. And now they seem to be having what I thought was going to be year one in year five. And obviously it's all because of all the injuries. And I had to get them, uh, give them a lot of credit for their first 40 games. I mean, they had injuries the same, you know, uh, I mean, their injury started in week one, basically. And, for, and to, for them to do what they did in the first 40 games of the season, to be in first place, hanging out first, second place, you know, uh, for that whole period, um, I was just totally impressed by that. You know, the kids that were coming up from the Silver Knights were holding their own. But then... The last twenty games, and then now the now the next ten games, it's like it's they've just kind of fallen off. I think I think the little shiny rose that they had on it for the first half of the season has, has has worn off a little bit. So the last time we saw the VGK on the ice, they were up in Winnipeg to mm-hmm. take on the Jets, and uh, they ran into a uh, red hot goaltender at least on that night on Tuesday, as Connor Hellebeck made forty two saves, and the Jets get the four nothing win over the Vegas Golden Knights. Watching this game, it was. Kind of wild there in the first period because I guess there's been a couple times this season when the Jets have played the Golden Knights where Winnipeg's had uh, it's been a tough even to get a shot off right. on goal. Mm-hmm. They didn't have it. They didn't have a shot on goal. The Winnipeg Jets until I believe 13 minutes into the game. <laughs> yeah. It was something like eight to nothing. Vegas had outshot Winnipeg at the time when they they end up getting their first shot. That being said, the Jets were able to get four goals in this hockey game. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, a lot of guys had a ton of points. Uh, not a ton of points because they had four goals. But uh, Luke Dubois as well as, uh, as, well as Pionk and uh, Blake Wheeler as well as Kyle, Kyle Connor, very prominent for the Winnipeg Jets in this game. And, look, I mean, Logan Thompson's been pretty good at times. I don't – I mean, but, but he's been receiving – a little bit of criticism, I think, is maybe a little bit too much. Maybe yeah. understating it, right? In the, yeah. in the last few games, yeah. Because look, he is young, and there's, there's going to be growing pains, regardless mm-hmm. of who you are as a goaltender in the NHL. But uh, are you somebody that's high on Logan Thompson as, as a 
uh, potential number one goaltender in this league, or is it just kind of a kind of a wait and see, feel it out, let's see what happens? With he's this kid? he's growing on me a little bit. Um, I like his style because yeah. it's kind of like a flurry style. He's all over the place. He's a yeah. left hander, which yeah. I don't know a lot of people realize, and there's not really too many left handed goalies out there. He's just not getting the, the, the support up front. I mean, they're just not putting any pucks in the ocean at all. I mean, it, that was a 2 nothing game. He held him in the game. He made some fantastic saves. But if there's always been one critique that I've always had of the Golden Knights is that every night that they go on the ice, they make the other goalie look like they're an all-star goalie. They, last year they outshot everybody. You know, they, they averaged 40, 42 shots a game. Everybody else is, you know, they're only shooting 28 to 35. And, but they just shoot it right in the logo. If, you know, they're not hitting the corners. They're they're shooting it wide. Um, but they always make the other goalie look. I, as every time I watch, it's like that they're the best goalie in the NHL that night. No question. And look, you talked about uh, the scoring drop with the yeah. Vegas Golden Knights, right? This is a team that uh, look. We understand the Golden Knights are injury riddled, and uh, right now they're sitting at what thirty four, twenty eight, and four. But on the road, it's just been really tough, hasn't it, G-Man? I mean, you yeah. talk about, the, the, look, their road skid now is, sits at seven games. And they've had two game, they've had two shutouts in a row, and it's happened a couple times, right? I mean, they've had, there's, there's been a couple instances where they lose, you know, back-to-back games where they aren't able to, to light the lamp at all. Right. So that's something that Pete DeBoer and the powers that be there over the VGK with the coaching staff is going to have to address without question. And, uh, look, you can use the excuse about injuries as much as you want and, and you know, the guy's not feeling it, but uh, the rubber's meeting the road here. We're talking about a logjam, right? I mean, yes. you take a, uh, the Dallas Stars right now hold the second wild card spot. Yep. They've got seventy three points. Yeah, passed us last night. Yeah, yep. after they beat Edmonton five to three. Yep. And then uh, you know, Vegas is Vegas is seventy two points. Winnipeg is, is seventy. But Dallas has four games in hand. That's the problem. Over the VGK, right? That's the problem. And two on the Jets yep. as well, too. So, I mean. These teams can make up points, and every two points is critical right now. And that's a big thing. Yeah. And, and if you recognize, is that uh, the Golden Knights have lost in regulation. They haven't even tied. So all these other teams are, you know, they're tying and getting at least one point. The Golden Knights haven't been able to do that. And with only 16 games left, the Kings have 18 games left, and everybody else is at right at that 20 number that that, that we're fighting against. You know, to try to try to get that final. And now we're looking at the the, the two wild card spots. Um, we talked about Logan Thompson, of course. He stopped 22 shots for Vegas in that matchup. Uh, he was also in the net, by the way, in uh, Monday's uh, 3 nothing loss at Minnesota. The, he had a good game. He had a good where, game. Where he, was, yeah. look, he wasn't bad in that game. No. You're not going to pin games like that on your young goaltender. Can't. It's going to be it, – it, it has to circle around, right? It's yep. got to be on your offense. And yes. it's got to be on – you know, you've got to get guys rolling like Carlson and, and, uh, and you know, Petrangelo, Theodore. I mean, all these guys, and especially offensive guys as well, too, up front. Yes. Uh, they're just, I mean, I don't know how, how more plainly we can say it. You got to get more production out of mm-hmm. your big time guys up front, especially in your front six for the BGK. Yeah, absolutely. Carlson's, you know, he's on a drought. Theodore's on a drought. Uh, Petrangelo, at least, you know, the defense has been holding their own, even with as many kids as they got. Up, I mean, I think the last, you know, out of the last six games, they've had a lot, you know, three guys with their first NHL game ever, you know, play on defense for us. Uh, Mark, I think Martinez is going to come back, mm-hmm. and that's going to solidify a little bit. I'm not sure about McNabb um, back on the D. I think they're talking about Stone coming back, and, you know, he puts in a lot of fire and, you know, a lot of uh, – um, 
spunk back into exactly, the you, yeah. you know into the line yeah. into the lineup. And uh, but I think uh, Patrick, I think he's gone. I think he had a he had a wrist surgery, so I don't know if he's coming back for the season. I haven't heard anything about Riley Smith. You know, so I'm not really sure what. Carlson and Petretti and Stevenson can do, you know, as a line. Eichel, you know, he's been okay, but he hasn't really set my eyes on fire yet. Um, as far as what he can do with the puck, pass the puck and everything, fantastic when he gets a shot. But uh, we need him to be like the McDavid and the McKinnons. You know, he, he needs to be that guy for us. And uh, I'm not seeing it yet. And sure, you know, he didn't escape for a year and a half almost. And, you know, he's still trying to get his feet, feet underneath them. Um, but he's so smooth and sweet with that puck on, uh, on his stick and the way that he passes and just the way that he can orchestrate. And the guys are still trying to get used to him. Chris Wynn and, the, and Gilby, the G-Man. We're talking to VGK here live on the T.C. Martin Show on your Thursday. On the docket tonight, G-Man, the Nashville Predators. It's tough, one of the hottest teams tough in the team. NHL right now. Yep. Uh, offensively, they lean on guys like Roman Yossi, who's, by the way, he's seventh in the NHL. He with is 78 on fire. Points. He has been on Guy's got 18 fire. goals. In the last. Got to be able to shut down a guy like that in this mm-hmm. matchup tonight. But also for VGK, here's another point, a point I, wanna, I wanted to get to, uh, your take on and kind of bounce off of you. The power play. We've been talking about this all the time, right? It's always brought up. Five years across the airwaves about. in Vegas on every show. Yeah, it is a talking point as it should be. Okay, mm-hmm. because right now the Vegas Golden Knights are sitting at uh, I think they're twenty fourth in the league. I'm surprised which at that. High. Puts them solidly in yeah. the back half of the NHL. Absolutely. When it comes to the power play, power play obviously a lot of your high powered offensive mm-hmm. octane guys are going to be on the power play. So. There, that's going to be a big key tonight for me in a game against Nashville where it could end up being a high-scoring game regardless of who's between the pipes for both of these teams because you have so much offensive prowess, uh, particularly for the Nashville Predators right now. But uh, you got to be able to get that power play going if you're going to be able to make a dent against a team like this and that's as hot as they are. And I think Eichel's helped that because he's so good on the half boards with that puck and, and, and he'll hesitate and then he'll wait for just – one extra second that somebody else won't. And that's something that's been a problem for the Golden Knights ever since year one. Even even under Gallant, I've never liked their, their power play. They've never been able to execute very well. They've always been mid to uh, the last 50% of, in the league in the power play. And I don't understand it because we've got the firepower. I mean, yeah. you, when you had Pacioretty on, on, the, on the line you know, with uh, Marsha Sultan Carlson or Stone out there, they still weren't able to put in the puck. And, and this year, you know... They have two lines, you know, uh, whoever's uh, skate, skating with uh, Stevenson um, on, the, on that second line, which has been, you know, it's been an influence of, of people, you know, for the la- for all seasons. So they, they just don't get enough consistency, especially with all of their major players on all the guys making the big money, the big contracts. And, you know, hopefully we're going to see Darnell back tonight. You know, hopefully he'll, he'll be back on the ice. I mean, he started to put the puck in the net right, right before, you know, the whole situation with the Anaheim Ducks, and I don't know who dropped the ball on that one, but you know that's. Uh, but the NHL said it, it's not going to happen, so that should be an interesting locker room tonight when when he's in there. Where do you think Dodonov's head's at right now? Because you go through that, you know, from a psychological standpoint, right? Where you yeah. think you're out out of town, yeah. right? You're at, you think you're moving on to another team now. Uh, we we all uh, got a chance to uh, hear him and uh, and 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 uh, and uh, hear some of his viewpoints regarding. Uh, <laughs> Other spots that he might have headed to, right? Right. But now you're back in the mix where you're going back to the team that you're there. 
I mean, is is there any resentment? Is there, you know, that kind of uh, mindset where you're like, you know, all these guys, you know, just basically wanted to bounce me out of town, and now you expect me to just come back and kind of be in the mix? Or do you think that he just kind of shakes it off? It's kind of water under the bridge, and he just handles his business and goes out there and just kind of and just kind of rectifies it. Hockey's one of those sports is that you play for the love of the game, yeah. and as far as he's concerned, I mean, he's got he's got 18 games left to play. Unless they make the playoffs, and then so he's got more. So he's still got to he's he's still got to hold up his own to make sure that he's he's viable for somebody else next season, because he, I think all these guys now, and I think in the last you know five ten years, they understand that it's just a business, and he knew the whole team knew that there's five you know his his contract's five million dollars, so. They knew that somebody was going to have to go. Was it going to be a Riley Smith? Was was it going to be a Carlson? Was it going to be a Theodore? You know, who were they going to be able to get something for? But because if with with bringing that Eichel contract on onto the team, all of those players were never going to be able to be on the ice at the same time. Exactly, and you brought up, of course, Jack Eichel. He's going to be instrumental tonight too, as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, because he's a guy. He needs with to be. three goals in the last ten games. You want to, you want him to amp up that production. You don't yeah. want you know. Uh, you're talking about a guy who, talent wise, is a top five guy in the NHL. Yes. Okay, and you, you need a guy to be more you know offensively productive than three goals in ten games. So also a guy that uh, I think could be instrumental tonight, Jonathan Marchessault. Okay. Yes. Someone who someone who what a great uh, season he's had. By the had. way, he's leading the team in goals what anyway. A, yes, exactly. You know, and so this is uh going to be a lot of fun to watch I think from an offensive standpoint tonight because it looked the goaltending uh, situation and looks like uh and uh our friend uh, Ben Ben, ben uh, Goats over at uh the RJ had an interesting tweet that uh Numchuck just uh just uh, showed to me yeah. uh, a couple of key points, G-Man. Uh, Dodonoff is in tonight. Okay, Patch Ray is going to be a game-time decision. Uh, Broussois was has not been available to start recently. Uh, now not available to back up. No timeline yet for his return. Oh, gosh. And he's also tweeting out that uh, both McNabb as well as Robin Leonard are closer to returning than both Riley Smith and Mark Stone. So uh, don't really... No way we need to make a comparison between the players, but either way, uh, that's good news for the Golden Knights as yes. far as their goaltending situation. Because let's be straight about it: Robin Leonard was the guy, okay, right. going in the season. Yes, and the expectation is is that he still could should be the guy. And if they do make a run and get into the, he's going to have to be the class, guy. He's going to have to be yes. extremely productive for them. He's going to have to be. You know, yeah. you know, when they played the Wild, you know, just two games ago and they see Fleur on the bench there, you know, cuz he just got traded from Chicago to Fleur, you know, uh, to the Wild. It just puts a lot of onus on Leonard. And I think Leonard knew that coming into the season. He uh he trained a lot better. He trained a lot different. He's just such a big goalie for me. You know, he covers a lot of the net, um, and it's so his the two styles are just so different. Different even beside uh, between him and uh, uh, uh Broussois. That you know, he's just so it covers up the net. Leonard almost looks like he looks lazy to me in the net, but he covers everything, and he's so big, and and he and he's good that way, but. He knew coming into the season that he's going to have to be the guy, and and for the Golden Knights in in the last uh, sixteen games that they got, you know they're going to have to win ten to eleven, twelve of these games straight out, get the two points, and you know to be able to secure themselves a spot. And and he's going to, he's going to be the reason. The goaltending is going to have to be the reason because as we've seen, they're having a problem putting uh, puck in the net. It's safe to say there's been a ton of banter across the board, back and forth 
regarding the goaltending situation here in Vegas sure. over the past couple of years. Absolutely. Okay. That's not. I'm not going out on a limb. I'm not. You know, being wacky by <laughs> dropping that out there. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bounce this nunchuck off the G man uh, because uh, I'm interested in, in his viewpoint regarding the whole Mark Andre Fleury versus Robin Leonard discussion. Right? Um. Who is 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 it is it to you? Was it the right decision? by the Vegas Golden Knights organization to go with Robin Leonard with Panda as opposed to Flower? Or were you somebody that was, you know, MAF camp and thought that, you know what, we roll with our guy who's going to be a Hall of Famer, who's going to be the first uh, jersey that's going to be raised in the Raptors at T-Mobile Arena, and he still has something left in the tank, and he should be our guy moving forward, at least in the, the near future. I was shocked. I was yeah. shocked, and, and, and to me it just came down to money. Mm-hmm. Seven million versus five million. I was surprised they give Leonard five million when they brought him in as a backup in the first place. I mean, that was my first shock. And you know, they they had a great tandem last year. You know, mm-hmm. working back and forth and everything. So, but I was really shocked that the Golden Knights did get rid of Flurry because he was the face of the franchise. He was all of. I mean, everybody was behind him. He was everything that he was their first pick. And to not ride and die with him, you know, until he decides not to go. Because he, he, he was happy to be here. He loved it here. Um, found a second home after leaving Pittsburgh, um, after winning three cups. And without, his, with, without him back, back in the net, I, I think there was probably a little bit of, um, a little bit less confidence at first. And, you know, Leonard got hurt right away at the beginning of the season again. So now you're right. You know, you bring in number 39 to and so back and forth, and he's been, I don't know how many games total that uh, uh, Leonard's missed, but it's been quite a few. It's been more than they want to for $7 million. You would like him out there, but I was really shocked by by the major decision by, um, by McCrennan to yeah. get rid of him. So, G-Man, I've had numerous debates across the board with uh, some prominent people, too, here in Vegas and the sports media, as well as uh, some celebrities. Daniel Negreanu, big-time yeah. Vegas Golden Knights fan, poker yeah. player. And uh, he's hugely in Robin Leonard's camp. He's constantly touting Robin Leonard as, you know, he's, I think he's one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. He's like, you know, uh, he absolutely thinks that he, he can he can be a key part that uh, that uh, will help lead the Vegas Golden Knights to a Stanley Cup championship if they're able to get themselves in that position. Now, look, I mean, we, you can go back and forth regarding his career. And, and this is a point I always make when I talk about Panda, right? This is a guy who at times is the best goaltender in the NHL. Can there be. are times where, you know, he is just, it, 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 you can't get the puck past him. I mean, right. he's just, he's, he, there are times where he just goes on run and he's red hot and you, you, you are the luckiest team in the NHL to have that guy between the pipes. However, there are also times where he is not so good and where he does have lapses when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, his attention span, I guess is a way to put it. And shots goal, outside the circle and goals that he a, a goaltender of his caliber should you know keep out of the net at times he does not do and look from a statistical obviously a statistical standpoint and from an, an accolade standpoint uh, he really doesn't have a huge resume right he doesn't no. have the Vezina trophies he doesn't have a Stanley Cup championship um, he doesn't have postseason success necessarily he's been he's been again like I pointed out he's been at times he's in spurts he's been outstanding in the regular season so I think it's still up in the air that when you know when when the when the rubber meets the road right yep. and this team is playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs and you're playing against the likes of an of uh you know uh 
a, a powerhouse team, you know, a, a team that uh, like a, a Colorado, Colorado Avalanche yep. or, you know, Calgary or, this year or Calgary this year or even the Oilers. I mean, yep. teams like those, uh, you know, is it going to be somebody that you can rely on? I think that that question is still out there. That being said, it, the situation is what it is. I mean, right. they, they already they, I mean, uh, McCrimmon and uh, the powers that be with the Vegas Golden Knights said, hey, this is our guy. Yeah. And we're going to roll with them. DeBoer's on board and everything. So uh, from that standpoint. You know, uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out. You know, it's not gonna be any mystery. We're gonna find out exactly uh, if they do make the playoffs this year. What Robin Leonard's uh, forte is when it comes from a playoff standpoint. But uh, I think that's the important distinction I make is that look, you can be great when it comes to regular season games, and you're playing. You know, you're, when you're playing against the likes of uh, the Red Wings or uh, you know uh, the New Jersey Devils or these teams coyotes. in the regular season, right? The Coyotes, but it all changes. When you're playing, you know, for the Stanley Cup, and you're in big time series against tough teams in the playoffs. Well, that's what you got to find out these last 18 games. These are all mm-hmm. playoff games, and that yeah. and for everybody in in the Western Conference, Eastern Conference, this is the time that I really like to start to watch hockey. The first 60, 65 games, you know. I'm a playoff hockey kind of guy. I've been playing hockey since I was four years old, and you know, to get to your your point about goalies, usually every game, it's like it's one of those uh, bad goalie. You know, with, with Leonard, it's like, uh, you know, that one I think you should have had, you know. And it's tough to be a goalie. I was a catcher. You know, you got a ball coming at you 100 miles an hour. You know, it's a little tough. You got that slap shot coming at you, you know, at 100 miles an hour. You know, it's it looks a lot easier than, than, than it is on the ice. And you just hope that he can he just can limit those mistakes, the, like you said, the ones that he's supposed to stop, and then come up with the two or three or five a game that our defense breaks down that he has to make the miraculous save that he's very capable of doing. He's so big and covers a lot of the net that that he's proven that that he can do that. So um, he's going to be instrumental, but it's playoff hockey time, and then you can't leave anything left left on the table. You, this team could be going home for the first time in, the, in franchise history. Uh, this this town is pretty spoiled as far as, oh, we just expect to be in the playoffs. And it's not a given. And it's not a given. But he's going to go out there and earn it. And and like you said, we're, we're going to find out if he's worth his $5 million a year. And then maybe they'll readdress it next year. Who knows? Um, but I, I have a feeling that he has a capability to be able to, uh, you know, pull up the pants, squeeze a little bit, you know, see see if there's something down there and uh, come to the table and, and, and have a little bit of fun and get us some W's. No, Chuck, I think uh, G-Man's referring to intestinal fortitude, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. When, you, when you're talking it's about Robin Leonard. Time. And, uh, yes, there it is, my friend. And uh could be a nice, promising start to a nice three-game run here. Tonight, Nashville Predators here in town, down at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, puck drops 7 o'clock down there. Myself and the G-Man will be there checking that out. And then Saturday, the Chicago Blackhawks come to town. Thought it was going to be uh, another uh, chance for uh, return number two, right? Yep. For Marc-Andre Fleury. Not the case, of course, because he was a part of one of the of the uh, many deals in the NHL over the past week plus, as he has uh, been shipped to the Minnesota Wild in that trade there. So Mark Andre Fleury will not be between the pipes. A lot of people are holding those tickets. They were holding those tickets. Oh, I'm sure and, they were. And they were holding it. So I I did yeah. get to see the last one. So and he had a great game. He beat us two mm-hmm. to one. So, um, but anytime you get you can get a Vander Kane here. You know, I mean, anytime you get the, the Blackhawks, you got Taves. I mean, they still last night they had a great game. 
You they know, did? Yeah, they did, uh, the, the Blackhawks. So, I mean... Oh, by the way, I, I, uh, C. Wynn took it on the chin on that one. Uh, I was absolutely uh, on the other side, and the Blackhawks <laughs> pulled that off. I was not happy about it. But, uh, yeah, you talked about it. I mean, Yeah, uh, Tekin in now there in goal, yeah. you know, so, you know, just a swap for Flurry for him. And so, um, they're going to come in and re- ready to play. I mean... Although they're they're basically out of the playoff contention, but they're still playing like they're like they're there because they've had a very disappointing season, and I I think that they were a little bit upset that they had a caliber goalie like Flurry on there, and he was under five hundred there uh, uh, for the beginning for the season, and they know they can play better. Yeah. And that's an afternoon tilt uh, on Saturday yeah, against Chicago, and then uh, next week uh, the next game will be on Wednesday. Well, they'll be up in Seattle at that uh, really cool climate arena up there, which is uh, pretty spectacular. Taking on the Kraken, who, uh, again, at times have, uh, you know, hey, the sun even shines on a dog's backside sometimes <laughs> when you're a, when you're a uh, you know, a expansion franchise. And it has happened this, this year for the uh, Kraken. They've beaten some teams that uh, they were not supposed to beat at times, but they still have uh, absolutely shown signs that they are a expansion team. So we'll see how that goes on Wednesday. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live here on a Thursday. The G-Man, C-Win, and Numchuck holding it down for the doctor who's in San Francisco getting set for the Sweet 16. He'll join the show later on, as well as our guy Jamison Welsh to talk some hoops, both college and NBA. But coming up next, one of our favorites, sports personality and uh, caster, Jesse Merrick's going to join us from News 3. We're going to talk a little Raiders. Obviously, a Good. ton of stuff going down yeah. in the NFL with, with respect to moves across the board, especially here in the AFC West. So Raider Nation gets set. We're going to talk some football, talk much more with, uh, with Jesse about the Vegas Golden Knights as well, too. Maybe a little hoops with him also. T.C. Martin Show coming away live on a Thursday. Chris Wynn, Gilby, the G-Man, in the house. We'll be back right after this. All right, let me put some water on your ball. More from the master debater. Martin. You'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. Just had to let that play out a little bit, right? Because that is top-notch all around, as is the T.C. March Show coming away live on a Thursday here. KSHB 1400 AM here in Las Vegas. Also, www.tcmartshow.com. Streaming on the web worldwide. The doctor, T.C. Martin, is in the Bay Area getting set for the Sweet 16. So I'll be here for the next couple of days, myself and the G-Man, Gilby. Tomorrow, we'll be down live at the Cosmo doing our show there. We'll be joined by uh, Marco... D'Angelo, I believe, is going yes. to be joining us Great also fun. on the show. A uh, tremendous job covering all things sports from a handicapping standpoint. We'll get him on the show because, yeah, there's just a few things going on this weekend just a couple. in the world of sports across yeah. the board. And uh, joining us right now to talk about that, of course, is uh, one of our favorites here in Las Vegas. Does a tremendous job with uh, KSNV News 3 here in Las Vegas. Sportscaster extraordinaire. Calls himself a sports interpreter because that's exactly what he is. He's great at it. Jesse Merrick joining us here live on the T.C. Martin Show. Jesse, we appreciate the time. What is going down, my friend? 
What's up, dude? That was one hell of an intro. I appreciate that. Hey, got to get better and better every day, right? That's that's what I'm trying to do. I get that's I wax poet <laughs> Jesse. Waxing poetic is the thing that I try to do just a little bit. <laughs> Don't we all, right? <laughs> exactly, right. And uh, of course, you know, all kinds of action across the board when it comes to the VGK. There, you know, a couple of games here in Vegas in the next couple of days, Jesse. But make no mistake about it, the NFL is king, right? And especially in the off season when there is just stuff going down left and right, especially Jesse Merrick, especially when it comes to the AFC West. There has been no shortage of activity and intriguing movement across the board. And the Las Vegas Raiders, Jesse, are no strangers to it whatsoever. Just after, you know, the Chargers make the deal, you know, with getting Khalil Mack, the Denver Broncos, you make the deal where they get Russell Wilson, the Raiders go out and get a nice piece for Derek Carr and that offense and uh, that wide receiving core. Yeah. Pretty incredible to do that. And not only getting Devontae Adams, but also pushing Tyreek Hill out of the division as well with that move because that drove the price up for him and the Chiefs balked at paying him that kind of money, so they shipped him out of town. So it's kind of like a double whammy for the Raiders there getting uh, Devontae Adams and also, you know, addition by subtraction, by getting rid of Tyreek in the division. I mean, it's, it's insane what's happened not only around the NFL, but especially, like you mentioned, in the AFC West. It's insane the Raiders get you know, one of, if not the best receivers in the game and kind of what that can do for their team is incredible. I mean, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler swinging for the fences right out of the gates. And if you're a Raiders fan, you got to love what they've done thus far. No question about it. Interesting character uh, characterization there, uh, G-Man, by Jesse, talking about how they the Raiders pushed out Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins, yeah. right, from the edge. Awesome. Uh, you, and you retweeted, by the way, Jesse, too, uh, Tom Bell, uh, uh, Pelissero, pointing out that uh, the Dolphins uh, signed Tyreek Hill to that three-year, $75 million extension as part of that trade with Kansas City. And so now he's under contract there with Miami through the 2025 season at $23.8 million a year. Uh, safe to say, pretty much the, the highest-paid wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I hope he can share some with me or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> right? a lot of money. But, I mean, let's be real. Like, There's no comps for Tyreek Hill and what he does, and I think – in that offense with Mike McDaniels calling the shots, you know, coming from San Fran, I think he's kind of going to kind of be, if there's even such a thing, like a souped-up version of Debo Samuel out there in Miami. I mean, you pair him with Jalen Waddell, that's going to be an interesting offense to watch, you know, see what kind of progression Tua makes there. Miami's a team to look out for on offense, that's for sure. What was your impression of the deal that was made in Denver, obviously, picking up Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson, you know, a Super Bowl championship in Seattle, essentially a cult hero up there in the Pacific Northwest. Now he takes his talents down to Denver and the Mile High City. And uh, interesting side note, by the way, uh, G-Man and uh, Numchuck just pointed out to me, Jesse, apparently uh, the stadium up there in Denver is on fire. They're showing some uh, clips and video. Yes, there are flames right now engulfing the grandstands at the uh, stadium him up there uh g-man had a nice little uh nice little quip where he talked Whoa. about how russell wilson already flamethrowing up there in denver <laughs> with the broncos but uh yeah apparently there's a, ah, a section a section of the grandstand up there is on fire jesse with the uh broncos <laughs> yeah hey look i mean the massive deal to get russell wilson i mean look i, I have thought and some people have poo-pooed this whole idea but i thought the broncos were a quarterback away uh, you know given the roster that they had um you know and i think you bring in a guy like russ you know, with the receiving core that they have. And that's an interesting group there. I think leaving, losing Noah Fant, I think, is going to be a, a big loss for them. I think people maybe undervalue what he did for that offense. But you look at, you know, the receiving core that they've got with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, 
you know, and other guys that they continue to bring in, the running back core that they have, even the O-line they have. I mean, that's a really good team. And defensively, they've got a good roster together there. So I really liked the Broncos this year before they got Russell. And then you go and get a guy of his caliber who's had a lot of consistency, obviously didn't have a great year last year, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But, I mean, he's the guy that comes in and they're going to let him do his thing, you know, Uh, with a new coach there, you know, coming in from kind of the Green Bay style of stuff where, you know, Russ is going to essentially get the chance to cook. I mean, that's what everybody was looking for him to do up in Seattle. I think now, you know, his coach is going to let him do that. And and he's got the, you know, horses in the stable to do it. Not that he didn't have it in Seattle because they had a good receiving core there as well. But, you know, I, I really do like what all the teams in the AFC West, quite frankly, have done. Um, you know, aside from the Chiefs just given losing Tyreek, but like adding Russ to the mix for them, I think is massive. Again, just what this team brings to the table defensively and all that stuff. Having said that, I think with the moves the Raiders have done, you definitely put the Raiders above them. I think the Raiders now, in my mind, honestly, have to be right behind the Chargers in terms of favorite in the division. That's interesting to hear because I like I like the way that you're going with that. And you know what. When you bring up about uh, Russell Wilson in, in, in Denver, um, you know, brand new head coach, Hackett comes in. We're not really quite sure how he's going to incorporate that uh, Green Bay style offense. Um, he's got some pieces. He's got a couple good running backs there. Um, but, you know, Judy's going to really have to show what he has to do. Do you, do you think that he's got the offensive line to be able to uh, execute everything that, that he has? Because everybody's really big on this defensive line and, and the defense that, that Denver has. And so we think that they're going to be able to stop the ball. But with this AFC West, I mean, you're going to have to score 28 to 35 points just to, just to cover, you know, just, just to beat and just be in any of these games. Yeah, I totally get it. Somehow, though, the Bengals figured out how to do it. <laughs> you know, Joe Burrow got hit more than just about anybody has, you know, in recent years. And, uh, you know, they got to the Super Bowl. Having said that, you know, Joe Burrow is obviously operating at a different level right now. But uh, I think with Russ, that is going to kind of be the big key. And he didn't have a great offensive line in Seattle, kind of what I point to also. So, you know, I think there's going to be some, some options, you know, there. And I think Judy, you know, is more of, you know, you look at the offense that they had in Seattle, it was more of that we're going to run the ball and, then, you know, take the top off with our big play receivers and lock it and uh, Debo. Whereas I think in Denver, it's going to be a little bit more of maybe that death by a thousand cuts because Judy to me is more of that, you know, route you know route running type of deal guy where that's like his bread and butter so he's going to be able to get open on those short to intermediate routes so you know look you're going to have to protect there's no doubt about it because again you noted the guys that they've got you know in terms of pass rushers in this division specifically um you know it's, it's going to be an issue for them but i think that they're i think they'll be able to figure that out you know I, i'll be honest i don't know all the names on that offensive line but you know it wasn't like they were a sieve the year before so i think this is going to be something where you bring in a guy like russ who's used to kind of moving around in the pocket and has some receivers that are more of those short to intermediate type of route type guys where he doesn't have to hold on to the ball forever, you know? Jesse Marigas joining us live here on the TC Martin Show. You can follow him at jessenews3lv on Twitter, tremendous sportscaster with uh, our NBC affiliate here in Las Vegas, talking some Las Vegas Raiders and AFC West. We're talking about quarterbacks, obviously, jettisoning around, right, moving around the NFL. That also happened in the case with the Raiders, obviously. Marcus Mariota, of course, uh, mostly on the bench with the Raiders last year. He had some spots, of course, in Greg Olson's offense where he was utilized a little bit. Now he moves on, Jesse, and now he is an Atlanta Falcon and looks like he's going to be the guy there with, obviously, Matt Ryan moving on to Indianapolis. Your thoughts on uh, Mariota and uh, the possibilities for him there in uh, now yeah. going from the AFC West down to the NFC South in Atlanta. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. Marcus Mariota, great dude. I enjoyed covering him, but good luck out there in Atlanta, especially in the NFC South. You know, I'm not very high on Mariota. I watched him in practice. To me, he looks like a guy that just doesn't quite have it anymore. And then you move on to a team in Atlanta who's got some good pass catchers, but not an amazing roster all around. You know, nothing special to kind of work with. He's a guy that just... Kind of, again, looks like he's lost. I don't know how else to describe it. I just watching him in practice, I was kind of like, oh, that's that's the guy that you know everyone's kind of been talking about. And the whole like throughout the year when everyone was like, oh, Mariota over Carr, Mariota over Carr, blah blah. I was like, man, if you guys were at practice, you wouldn't be saying that. You know, to a lot of the fans that were calling for that. So to me, I'm like, look, I am rooting for the guy because in terms of just good person, there's very few of them out there that can match you know who he is off the field. Uh, but I just don't think he's got the tools in his in his uh, toolbox anymore to compete at a high level in the NFL like that. I would love to be proved wrong, but I just don't see it happening out there for him in Atlanta. So looking at the AFC West, we talked a little bit about the Broncos, obviously talked about the Raiders, and uh, and there's a team there in the Chargers, right, where obviously they make the move, they get Khalil Mack, so now you're talking about Bosa and Mack on that defense for you know the, uh, the Chargers, and this is a team because of you know the wacky circumstances there at the back end of that Raiders-Chargers game where, you know, they essentially backed themselves out of the playoffs, right, in this past season. But uh, are people sleeping on the Chargers, Jesse? I mean, this is a team, obviously, you've got a good young quarterback there. I think some underrated offensive players on that team. And, uh, of course, defensively, what, the, what, what they'll be able to do here in the offseason, uh, they're going to be very formidable, especially, you know, given the fact, uh, especially given, as uh, the G-Man pointed out, be playing two games against uh, all the teams in the AFC West. Yeah, you know, look, I, I think uh, ESPN is making sure people do not sleep on the Chargers because all that Justin Herbert love, you know, they're pouring out there is on a different level. I remember last year at one point, I think it was before the game, the first game against the Raiders, they were talking about his uh, Hall of Fame credentials, and we were like, whoa, 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 the guy's been in the league, what, two years? Like, uh, let's chill out on that. <laughs> Having said that, they've got a great roster. Herbert is that guy. You know, he's going to be kind of that next tier of, of great quarterbacks in the NFL in my mind. Um, you know, look at the weapons that he has on offense. But then uh, specifically on defense, you notice some of the pieces they bring in. They've got J.C. Jackson. They've got Khalil Mack. They've also got Derwin James. If the guy can stay healthy, that roster is stacked. And then Brandon Staley calling the plays for them. I mean, look, he was a guy I know a lot of people like to, you know, question a lot of the decisions that he made last year, and rightfully so. But having said that, this is a guy that engineered that Rams, off, or that Rams defense that we saw, what, two years ago that was unbelievable. And I understand that they had Darren Donald, and he's like, you know, built in a lab somewhere but having said that what this team has you know to work with you just throw in Bosa and Khalil Mack I mean that's that's massive but then you add in JC and uh, you know the different pieces that they have on defense there and he's got a lot to work with he's going to be able to mix things up and that's to where I look to see like okay look this offense is going to put up points their biggest thing was they just need to be able to stop somebody because they couldn't last year so now you had that influx of talent I think that's where this team is really going to take that next step uh, and it's going to be an interesting one to watch. It's almost, honestly, throughout the AFC West, it's almost like how many of these games are going to be primetime TV games because they, they almost all should be because they're going to be incredible games, at least on paper. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the head, um, especially with this Chargers defense with James there. I'm not really sold on uh, Mac coming back to the AFC West. Um, he kind of got lost a little bit there in Chicago after he left the Raiders. 
And I think maybe the the years are maybe catching up to him a little bit. But, you know, when you got Bosa in the front, uh, their front seven are still really, really aggressive. I think the biggest thing that the Chargers did was uh, they re-signed Williams. They needed to have him out there for Herbert to, to, to Herbert to, to be able to have a go-to guy. And and their wide receiving core is just fantastic. And that's one of the things that the Raiders still need to. I think. I mean, they've adjusted a little bit in this offseason with their cornerbacks and their safeties. But I think that's that's going to be the telltale sign for the Raiders against this Chargers team coming up in the season. Yeah, I think more so the, in the safety spot for them. You know, mm-hmm. I think that they've addressed it at corner enough. Rockasine is a guy that I like coming out of Temple, and I, he's another guy that I think, honestly, I think people will be surprised with what he brings to the table. You know, in terms of man coverage, I believe last year he had the fifth highest man coverage rating in terms of uh, pro football focuses grades. You know, he's a guy, you know, shut down kind of corner type of guy that has at least those tools in the shed. And it's just a dude like workman, you know, lunch pail type of guy. So I think Raider Nation is going to fall in love with him you know, coming into the fold. And I'm curious to see how he fits into the scheme, you know, that Patrick Graham employs with the Raiders. So I think you add in him, Anthony Averett's a guy, you know, he's got Alabama ties. I used to work in Alabama, so talking to some people out there that, that were there, you know, in Alabama when he was there, they're really high on him, another speedy, you know, man type of guy. He played a lot this year because uh, blanking on dude's name, but uh, the corner that got traded from L.A. to the Ravens that got hurt, Marcus Peters. Uh, you know, yes. he played a lot because Marcus Peters got hurt this yeah. year. So, you know, Anthony Averett comes in on a one-year deal, kind of prove-it type of deal. He comes in hungry. And then you also add in the fact that they've got Trayvon Mullen, who I honestly liked his game when he was healthy. So those are three corners that are solid, at least in my mind, corners that you can play and feel okay with starting. But then you don't even add in the fact that you got Nate Hobbs in there as well, who was one of the better slot corners that we saw last year as a rookie. He continues to build off of that. So for me, the big question is going to be at safety. I mean, are they going to rely on Jonathan Abram in some role, what's that going to look like for him? Or is he going to kind of move more into the box? Is, uh, you know, Trayvon Merrick going to play, you know, a much larger role and be able to do more similar things to like what he was back in, uh, in college, you know, and, and go more to that. Cause he's a playmaking coverage type of guy. Uh, last year, we didn't see it as much. If he's able to come down with, you know, I would say half of the picks that he should have had last year, this guy's going to have a lot of interceptions next year. So I, I think my biggest issue with the Raiders defense right now is going to be, that safety spot, more so the strong safety spot and the depth that they have there. I think they addressed it at corner enough to me, especially given the fact of what they've got up front on the D-line. But I'm real curious to see, you know, more so that strong safety type of guy. Who's that going to be and how are they going to use him in this defense? Jesse Merrick joining us here live on the T.C. Martin Show. You can find him at News3LV. Does a great job in the sports department over there with another one of our guys, B. Sal. Where you got the combo yeah, that comes strong, my friends. And uh, they come strong in the threads department, too, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Guys can dress up nice, too. <laughs> hey, uh, we've been talking, obviously, a lot of NFL, a lot of Las Vegas Raiders. And you talked about all these primetime games, right, that the AFC West, Jesse, are probably going to be playing in. Another guy who's probably going to be playing in a lot of primetime games happens to play quarterback down in Tampa Bay again. Okay, because he uh, came out of retirement, Jesse, much to the chagrin of the gentleman or uh, person that spent uh, half a million dollars on his final touchdown pass that now is pretty much obsolete <laughs> Where because, uh, you know, week one, it's going to be going out the door. But uh, your thoughts, Jesse, uh, Tom Brady not calling it a career. Do you think that he was kind of backed into a corner? Was that you think that's kind of something that went down here with respect to, you know, uh, 
some people in the national media who already pretty much had him out the door, despite the fact that he maybe didn't make the decision yet? Well, so I'll get to that question in a second. And I don't think you know this, but I am actually a Buccaneers fan. All my family's from Florida, so I have Florida ties. So I was born and raised a Bucks fan. So you're going to get a bit of a biased answer with any question regarding the Buccaneers. Okay. So, so bear with me on this one. I just want to be fully up front with you guys on this. I was so fired up when he came back. Having said that, you know, maybe he was kind of forced into a corner with Giselle being like, yo, honey, you need to come home. You know, you're done. You've done this for however long. How much more do you have to prove? Having said that, I don't think Tom Brady's going to be pushed into a corner by anybody in the media at this point in his career. You know, I think, to be honest, I, I, when all the news broke about he's retiring and then he was saying, oh, no, he hasn't come to decision yet, blah, 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 all this stuff, I was thinking Brady's going to be like, nah, I'm not retiring, just in spite of all those reports. To so be like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to make sure that you're wrong. You know, and granted, at the end of the day, you know, those reports now are wrong because he's coming back. Um, but having said that, I think it was a true thing. I mean, look, you, you ask a lot of players that are long in the tooth right after the season's over, they, they don't want to play, man. <laughs> the last thing on their mind is coming back to play. But you ask a guy if he's sat at home, been away from the team, when guys start going back to the facility, start working out, as the PAs kind of start to creep up, which is crazy to say because it feels like the football season just ended, you know, as they're starting all of those things, that's when they miss being in the locker room, miss being around the guys. You know, you get stuck around the house a little more, realize, hey, look, I got to be a dad. I got to start doing these things again. <laughs> you know, maybe I do want to go back and hang out with the boys a little bit more, get paid and go back and make another run. And also think about the fact that he was playing at such a high level. It wasn't like he was forced out of the game. You know, they were very close to beating the Rams in that game. That's a big key, uh, you know, Jesse. That that's a big key to me. It really is because you think yeah, about it, right? It a is. lot of quarterbacks, especially you know Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks, and, you know at the end of their careers, you notice it, right? There's a there's a degenerative kind of you know uh, yeah. uh, uh, style of play basically for them. They they go downhill very fast, right? Not the case with TB12. This is a guy who's like you just pointed out has played at a very high level and continues to. And there's no reason, right, Jesse? There's no reason to not expect him to still be able to do that probably for another two years at least. Yeah, no, I had the same thought. Because, like, look, let's, let's be honest. Like, you don't play this long, you know, without having a system that works. Obviously, he's got the whole TB12 method, all that, you know, junk and everything, whether you want to believe any of that or not. But having said that, like, this is a guy that's proven he can do it at a high level for a very long time, has moved to a new place, found something that continues to work for him, and has done it to the point where he won a Super Bowl two years ago. And nearly beat the Super Bowl winning team. I mean, that's definitely something to be said about that. You know, to me, I'm thinking when he retired or when the talks of it were coming out that he was going to retire, I was like, why the heck would he? He has at least, again, like you said, two, maybe even surprisingly three years left in him. I think maybe we get one to two more out of him realistically. Um, But shoot, if I'm Brady, I'm way too competitive to walk away from it now. I'm going to be like, hey, how long can I continue to push this thing to show what I can do? Uh, so, you know, it, it, look, if I'm Tom Brady, they got to take me, you know, kicking and dragging out of the locker room. Uh, I would I would much rather be like, hey, look, it's time rather than leave knowing that you've got something left in the tank. Because I think if I'm him, that would eat me up more than anything else thinking, you know, sitting at home watching those games saying I could do better than so-and-so, whoever he's watching, you know. Jesse, I didn't believe for a minute that he was retiring yeah. because until 
he actually files the paperwork with the NFL. <laughs> and I heard that they were actually in there. I was never going to believe that he's going to retire. But I really yeah. think I really think he took a look at this NFC. Now with uh, with Russell Wilson leaving, and now you know he got lucky this last week with uh, with uh, Ryan now going to the Colts. He ain't got very much competition in that NFC yet to get back to that Super Bowl. What does he got, Rodgers and maybe Stafford to get back to? It's it's been crazy. That was the one thing I was like laughing about in this offseason. You know, one of the most odd off seasons we've seen. Everybody's going to the AFC. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a quarterback in the NFC or, or a, you know coach, GM, whoever, a player, you got to be like, wow, this is great. It's a mass exodus from the NFC. We're going to have kind of an easy path. It's uh, you know almost going to be kind of like how the East has been for so long in the NBA. You know, so or at least was. And so that's the thing where. I look at it, you know, if I'm Brady, yeah, I, I look at landscape of things. I say, hey, look, I feel like I can still play, and I feel like I have a quote-unquote easier road to get back there. So I'm definitely keeping that in mind if I'm him when I come back. Because, again, you look at it, who really stands out in the NFC? Obviously, you got Stafford and the Rams, and if they can run it back and everything like that. And the Niners, depending on what happens with them at quarterback. But, you know, if Trey Lance ends up being that guy, I don't think they're entirely sold on him either, you know? Uh, moving forward so and then you've got the question marks with the Packers now obviously when you lose a guy like Devontae are they going to replace all that you know there's a lot of question marks in the NFC so if I'm Tom Brady and a Bucks fan and Jesse Merrick I'm excited about you know the rest of the NFC kind of being bled dry a bit you're excited Jesse and all of us are excited because it's going to be uh intriguing as all get out this upcoming NFL season and it's precluded right by the NFL draft coming here in Vegas, right, Jesse? So we're going to get a chance to uh, see some of these teams add some more pieces as that draft comes into town. It's going to be a lot of fun to cover that, right, Jesse, as far as that's concerned. First ever in Vegas. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait for that. I'm a big draft nerd. You know, growing up as a kid, I was that guy that always had my book. I had my top of whatever of players, you know. I wanted to be kind of like Mel Kuyper and everything. Now as an adult, I'm like, man, I don't want to be Mel Kuyper. <laughs> Having said that, like, it's going to be fun. You know, to, to cover the draft out here, how wild is it that, you know, Vegas is hosting the NFL draft for the first time and the Raiders aren't picking in the first two rounds? I was just like, oh, man, having said that, I don't think Raider Nation is going to be mad about why they aren't picking in those first two rounds. But it's going to be a madhouse. I have some friends that covered the draft in Nashville a couple of years ago. They told me how crazy that was. Vegas is going to be on an entirely different level. If there's one thing our city can do, it's throw a party. And this is going to be the biggest party the city has, has ever seen. And then we're going to get the Super Bowl the following year. So, I mean, it's going to be wild. So, it's just one of those deals where uh, the draft for me, I'm excited because it's just such a unique event. You know, it's so cool. It's one of those things where very few times as a fan base can you leave after one day. And for the most part, everybody's excited because there's the potential. You know, the draft for the most part, unless teams reach and do some head-scratching moves, there's still that excitement of, of what to be. And you can sit there and kind of play that fantasy football game in your head on paper. So the draft is just so unique because it's the one time a year that really nobody really loses. You know what I mean? He is Jesse Merrick. It's always tremendous to get some insight from him across the board when we talk all things Raiders, Vegas Golden Knights, UNLV. It doesn't even matter. And, of course, his Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jesse, we're up against it from a time standpoint. But, hey, always love having you, my friend. Uh, One of our favorites over there on uh, News 3 here in Las Vegas. Uh, And we really do appreciate you spending some time on your vacay. He's got a little break time for Jesse Merrick. And he he took his time to uh, to join us (laughs) on the show. We really appreciate it, Jesse. Hey, for sure. I got you, my guy. I appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. All right, buddy. There it is. Jesse Merrick, News 3, joining us here. 
It's going to be a lot of fun, NFL. And uh, our number one is in the books here at the T.C. Martin Show. Chris Wynn, Gilby, the G-Man in the house, along with Nunchuck. Rolling on your Thursday. Much more on the way after this. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. going on he's feeling it and you can see he's rising to the occasion it's the tc martin show oh, awesome, baby, the it's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor tc martin this is your captain baby hey come with me the doctor is now in tc martin show coming away live on a thursday on AM 1400 KSHP, as well as the www.thetcmartinshow.com, streaming worldwide. The Dr. T.C. Martin is in the Bay Area getting set for the Sweet 16. I'm Chris Wynn, along with Gilby the G-Man, along with Numchuck here live in studio, holding things down, the Brian Blessing Studio, by the way, here in Las Vegas. As we get amped up for the Sweet 16, four games tonight, four games tomorrow, and then the weekend action gets rolling also, both of them, uh, all four of the games tonight are out of both the West and South regions, with the uh, first game being the number one overall seed, Gonzaga Bulldogs, taking out the Razorbacks of Arkansas in that matchup. That game is at the Chase Center in San Francisco. Then you've got Michigan taking out Villanova. The number 11 seed Wolverines taking out the number two seed Wildcats in the South region. That's a 429 tip-off in that one, and then the other two games later on, you've got Duke taking on Texas Tech in the other two teams that are in the chalk bracket of the West region. And and to top the night off, a matchup between the Arizona Wildcats, so two teams that are Wildcats going at it tonight as they take on the Houston Cougars, the upstart Houston Cougars at a number five seed and the Arizona Wildcats right now, a point-and-a-half favorite in that tilt. So should have some outstanding college basketball going down tonight in the NCAA tournament. By the way, during the week, there's been a lot of action when it comes to the college basketball classic as well as the NIT, all kinds of stuff going on across the board. They are now, I believe, shifted to Madison Square Garden in the NIT for the semifinals and then the finals of that tournament. So if you like your college hoops, not a bad time to be around. Now, obviously, the last couple of weeks have been crazy. With the uh, postseason tournaments, uh, when it comes to uh, all across the country, and then of course the uh, the uh, early ra- the first uh, two games of the NCAA tournament last weekend, so uh, college hoops are plenty across the board, and uh, always a fun time of year, right, G man? This is when the, it comes to college hoops. Yeah, this is the best time. I mean, if if you're a college college basketball fan, I mean, this is it. I mean, the conference plays doesn't start now until, you know, they wait till January. They get all that non-conference schedule uh, done in November and December for, for these teams, and then the conference play starts. And you really don't get a feel for these teams until February. And I really like to watch the week before the conference tournaments and then obviously, you know, last weekend being the mega of, of all was, you know, just like at the Cosmo with 4,000 uh, people, closest of our friends last week in the big uh, uh, Belmont ballroom. Um, it's just a fantastic time. And this is when you, when you see when, when the rubber hits the road and you see a lot of things in the conference tournaments that, that, kind of sway you sometimes to think that well maybe the regular season didn't mean as much or 
Well, you know, the letdown like like Duke had in the last game against North Carolina, and then and then they uh, uh, lose in the championship game in in their conference tournament. But then you know they they come back and have a big game against Michigan State. You know, last last weekend. So you, so you just never know with these teams and how these kids are going to prevail because in this. In this uh, era of one and dones, you know, you come in for one year and then all of a sudden you're out. You know, you don't get the cohesiveness like when we watched and when you know the Rebels were big in the nine in the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s, to where you get these kids on these teams for three to four years anymore. And and so so you kind of have an idea from year to year where where they're going to go. You don't know what kind of uh, pressure these uh, you know how these kids are going to do under pressure, you know, because it's their first time in the tournament. You know, you, you, you don't have any idea, but it's it's exciting. The fan bases are great. Uh, if, if you live here in Las Vegas or, well, I guess anywhere across the country, I mean, you got, you got a little handle on it here and there. So it, make, it, it makes college basketball just so exciting. And the landscape, as far as the type of Division One big-time basketball player, is different now than it used to be when we sure. were youngsters. And I'm not trying to sound like the old guy, you know, sitting on my lazy boy Get my reminiscing. Porch. But it's just not the same from a standpoint of a lot of these kids now, they're not afraid of playing against the big-time schools, right, the Blue Bloods, because a lot of these kids play at the AAU level right. with these guys, right? And it's not, it's not a situation like you brought up how players used to stay for four years at school, right? Well, what yeah. does that mean? Well, that, what that means is is that uh, your team's probably going to be much more formidable if you got a bunch of guys that are juniors and seniors staying at these schools, right? Mm-hmm. The landscape's all different now. Now you get kids transferring all over the place, right? This thing called the transfer portal that really has only become prominent, right, yes. in the last five, six years. Yeah. There was two. Back when we were in college, back when I was in college, I'm probably a little bit older than you guys, but when I was in college back in the early 90s, if a guy transferred, it was big news. Like, it was not it was not a normal thing. And he had right? to sit out a year. Exactly. Yeah. So you so big that affected that that affected that school and what they were going to be able to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that's a factor now where you've got these it's every year there's it seems like there's 10 there's 10, 20, 40, 50, 100 guys that are transferring to other schools. Change of teams. So that that kind that kind of takes away some of the luster, right? The the uh the The uh, romance with the teams that you are The that, romance that. but also but also the formula the formula uh, the uh uh, how for- formidable these teams are! How how uh, uh, you know how scary uh, scary is not really the right word, but I think you kind of know what, what direction I'm going here. Yeah. I'm talking about how you know, uh, for example, back in the '60s, '70s, '80s, if you had an upset in the NCAA tournament where you had a two beat a fifteen, it was it was it was crazy news. It was unthinkable, un- unthinkable right? Yes, unthinkable. It was very rare. Yes. Here recently, in the last 15, 20 years, it's happened a ton of stuff, uh, and. Uh, and it happens all the time, right? Right. And you know, you get a two beating a, a, a like fifteen Saint beating a two. Like Saint you get Middle talk. Tennessee State knocked off my Michigan State Spartans back in six, 2016 when you know mm-hmm. it, when it was, and it's become much more common. And I guess in a roundabout way, it's in, in my opinion, it's because these kids uh, are much more exposed to each other on a national level because of AAU basketball being expanded, and because of uh, you know so many tournaments now around the country where. Uh, kids are are just exposed to the big time players more right. often than they used to be, 
And uh, that combined with the fact that uh, you, you got a lot of players who are one, a lot more one and dones, right, when it right. comes to college basketball. And so you have so much turnover in college basketball. I think that's made a, been a major factor as well, too, is why it's the competitive level, I think, is evened off. Yeah, and all that talent, well, they're playing against each other. I mean, yeah. we've, got, we've got Finley Prep here. I mean, what a fantastic basketball uh, AAU team that that is and has produced so many great players, you know, that, that go on to play one and dones or maybe a couple years. But I think you really notice that, like like you said, St. Pete versus Kentucky, and look at TCU versus Arizona. Those kids were not scared of those big schools. Yeah. You know, you, you, get these, you get these smaller schools that come in there, but like you said, these players are playing against each other, and, you know, a lot of these big schools, they can only take three or four of these top, all, you know, McDonald's All-Americans or, you know, your, your second rounders or, what you know, uh, your 20 to 40 um, uh, uh, kids that, that are out there as far as rated. And what I saw in some of those games last weekend is that they're just not scared of those picks because to where – even before coming out of the locker room back in the day, in our day, that, that you would be defeated even before stepping on the court. Exactly. It's, it's like there's no chance. that, that Why are we even on, on, on the court with Georgia Tech? Or why are we with Duke or, or with North Carolina? We don't have a chance. But now that these kids play so much against each other, 16, 17, eight years, 18 years old, some of them almost 19 probably uh, in the AAU, that uh, it, it doesn't phase them anymore because it's just on a bigger stage. It's in a bigger stadium. But when that TCU game, they just did not look scared of Arizona at all. And that's – and Duke – you know, when they come up against somebody that that they're supposed to manhandle, they've had a tough te- uh, they've had a tough season this year, and I'm looking forward to hopefully Texas Tech tonight. You know, maybe this might be my uh, Coach K's last game. Who knows? And it wouldn't hurt my feelings if it was. And it has a lot to do too, also with the players' preference. And what I mean by that is this: uh, you can be a you know a medium size or a small fish in a big pond, or you can be a big fish. In a small pond. Yep. And what I'm talking about is guys like John Morant, right? Goes to a small school, right. but still ends up being an NBA, you know, NBA star. I'm talking about guys like Steph Curry. Goes to Davidson, right? Okay. Uh, probably, you know, in his situation, actually, he didn't. He didn't have a lot of uh, scholarship offers at the bigger blue blood schools. Um, guys like... Uh, I mean, I, you can you can name off uh, a number of them. Damian Lillard, obviously, uh, right. played with the Portland Trailblazers, went to a small school, I believe, Weaver, Weber State. The point being is that you know some guys like to be that big fish in a small pond, mm-hmm. and uh, talent wise, they're right there on par with a lot of the outstanding college basketball players. But uh, you know, maybe they just weren't noticed, or they or they have a preference to be that uh, BMOC as they call it <laughs> on campus, and uh, and uh, want to kind of be uh, you know instrumental when it comes to the that type of scenario. And uh, we've got that look. The NCAA tournament, right, G Man, is a lot about storylines. Obviously, it's about winning, and it's sure. about getting to the Final Four and winning a national championship. But it's also about storylines, and one of the main storylines going into this tournament is obviously the Gonzaga Bulldogs. All right. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC this year, which is pretty good. You know, and a lot of quality teams there. And uh, the Bulldogs will take on one of those SEC teams tonight in Arkansas. But they're from the West Coast Conference. All right. And we all understand that those conferences don't get the amount of love Never and did. respect that uh, maybe they deserve or maybe they don't deserve. Right. Um, and Gonzaga has been a prominent program across the country 
for the better part of two decades, basically, Correct. right yep. now. They've been in the mix. They've been to national, multiple national championship games, multiple Final Fours. They've had great players come out of there, from the Adam Morrisons to the, you know, obviously John Stockton, if you want to go way back, and, uh, and, and some other guys as well, too, uh, Dan Dickow, others. But the point being is that this is a team that's looking to break that, break that ceiling of right. being the first team since UNLV yep. back in 1990 to come from not a huge conference, right? Right. A not a, technically a non-power five conference and win a national championship, and they have the horses to do it, right? In the past, a team like Gonzaga or a program like that, right, or some of these other programs like Davidson and like uh, you know. Uh, teams that have made runs like the Florida, like Florida Gulf Coasts and some of these other teams, right? They don't have the the uh, recruiting power. They don't have no. they they'll, they'll you'll catch lightning in a bottle and you'll get maybe one player or a couple of guys over a short time period, but you're not getting consistently you know the four or five star guys. That's what Gonzaga is doing now. They're bringing in you know Julian Strother, a, a kid from Vegas here. You know they're bringing in obviously last year uh, Jalen Suggs, right, big time player. Uh, and was a big time recruit, and and uh, throughout the last decade plus, they've been able to bring in quality players. That's the case this year. They got guys, you know, from Drew Timmy to obviously Chet Holmgren is going to be a top three pick in the NBA draft this upcoming right. uh, mm-hmm. fall, spring, and they've got the horses. So, G man, it looks like the the uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs could actually pull this off and be that first team to come from that small conference in a long time. Well, and that's one thing that UNLV had a problem with too back in 80, you know, 86 to 91, the, you know, the last run uh, uh, for Tarkini because they played in the PCAA. What was that? Yeah, UC Santa Barbara. Were they in the Big West too? The Big West, like, was, yes, exactly, yeah. yep. So PCAA, then Big West, and you know, so they got so much more to prove and and when when they you know back then they didn't give the number 1 total seed but you know they were ranked number 1 in the nation for for all year and 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 Gonzaga's been there the same thing this this year and and the, at least the last two decades like like you said they've been able to prove that we can play with these guys but they haven't we can't they haven't been able to bring home the big one yet so you know tonight you know, they, they shot 50% against Georgia State. They beat them 93-72, a 6-16 seed, which, you know, obviously was, was a gimme game. But then they came against a tougher team, Memphis. You know, number nine in Memphis, 78-74, bigger, stronger, a, a, a little bit, you know, down deep, a little bit harder to execute what they're supposed to. Um, you know, they shot 51% against them, but only 33% from three-point range. Uh, but their main flaw is free throws. I'm looking here. It's they shot 53 percent uh, against Georgia State and only 54 percent. So I mean that's that's got to be a little bit curious and got. Makes you a little bit comprehensive that if this is a close game, um, you know, if it's coming down to free throws, anyone would think that from a Gonzaga team, you know, you, you would think that they'd be able to shoot free throws because that's one thing that, you know, I know that they practice, but in pressure situations, it's interesting to see that at least in the first two games of this tournament that uh, they've uh, been shooting barely 50, 54%. 
And look, we want to judge a team like Gonzaga when we get a chance to see them play against some of those schools from the bigger conferences. And you've got a chance to see that. And look, it seems like an eternity ago, but we're talking about back in November. Yeah. They, they faced uh, three of the top five teams in the country. They took out Texas and, uh, and pretty much handled them pretty easily, one by 12 in that matchup. Then, of course, they had the two games here in Vegas yep. that, uh, that I had a chance to cover. They matched up with uh, UCLA in that game where they just boat raced the Bruins and won by 20 points in the... Uh, the Good Sam yeah. Empire Classic here, and then uh, just a, just a matter of days later, they took on obviously Duke in uh, a matchup that was uh, you know highly touted for for obvious reasons. And the Blue Devils end up getting a three point win in that one, and it was I think it was a, a very uh, good measuring stick type, yeah. stick type of game for both of those teams. And, and look, all by the way, UCLA, Gonzaga, and Duke. Uh, are all still alive when it comes to the, so they can all still win national championships. So that's kind of uh, indicative of what these teams are. But uh, when you look at Gonzaga, this is a team, obviously it's going to be an intriguing matchup too from a coaching standpoint tonight. And the game tips off, by the way, about 10 minutes after our show ends here with the T.C. Martin Show. So I'm I'm sure everybody's listening and then it's going to go right to some college hoops. But uh, uh, when you have a matchup of Mark Few, right, who is – is an excellent coach. And, of course, Eric Musselman, who a lot of us here in Vegas are familiar with because he coached at Nevada in the Mountain West and uh, had some stops, obviously, as an assistant coach in the NBA as well, too. And now he's at that program and and, uh, got them amped up there in uh, in Arkansas and uh, had some quality wins this season against good teams. I I think they beat beat, uh, Kentucky in the game in uh, Fayetteville. Where, uh, well, they're a four seed, so obviously... Yeah, they, they, it's, it's a quality basketball yeah, team. And so conference this year. It's going to be a lot of fun, yeah. right, G-Man, to see that kind of dynamic with Mark Few and uh, uh, going toe-to-toe with Musselman and uh, how they approach this whole matchup. Yeah, I and Arkansas has been in two tough games, so 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 they've been challenged. And I always like to see that in, in, in a team, you know, when you're getting to this point. Because, you know, although uh, Gonzaga had an easy first game, but Arkansas, when they won 75-71 against the number 13 Vermont, and then they had a tough go of it with uh, uh, New Mexico State, 53-48. to 48. The Aggies, the Aggies mean, the gave Aggies, them everything they could handle. Right? I mean, yeah. but they only shot three for 16 from three-point range. I mean, 18%. That, they're going to have to they're gonna have to shoot from the arc so much better. than I mean, you, you're not going to be able to do this against this Gonzaga team. No, no question. And, uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And to see what uh, I call them the big four with Timmy and Holmgren and uh, Nebhard, as well as uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the fourth guy? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Julian Strother. Who is, uh, can make big shots for him too, as well for Gonzaga. Uh, Chet Holmgren's kind of, you know, he's, you, know, you want to, but every time I see that guy, I, all I, I, I can't help just keep thinking of Steven Zimmerman Jr. from UNLV, you know, seven foot plus, skinny guy, want to believe that he can dish the rock, but I don't know necessarily if he's like, uh, you know, going to be an NBA star. But I think he's going to carve out a nice career in the NBA because I think he kind of understands his role. He needs role to get some calves. And I'm understands so, what I'm, he can do. I, I don't think he overextends himself, let's no, put it that he, way, you're right, he does. when it comes to his skill set. Right. So but, that'll be a big key. Yeah. Well, well Mo, we, I, I hate to see most seven-footers say, oh, no, I can shoot it from three. Let, let, let's get out there. Let's get him down in there. Um, I think this is going to come down to uh, – down, down low play. I, I mean, mm. the rebounds and everything like that. That's going to go Gonzaga's way, um, and that, I think the outside shooting is, is going to is going to be what really determines it. 
Another matchup that's going to be intriguing as well, too. Villanova taking on Michigan. These two teams played, by the way, on the women's side a couple of days ago up in Ann Arbor in the NCAA tournament, and uh, Michigan was victorious. But uh, obviously we know with the Wolverines, the controversy that went down with Jawan Howard and the handshake line ends up getting suspended because he throws a, throws a punch or whatever to, uh, in the Wisconsin game. And uh, they're able to kind of hold the fort. Played pretty well in the Big Ten tournament, obviously. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, uh, has been solid here so far through the first two games of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And I look at this Michigan team. Look, I get, I see that they're an 11 seed, and I get their records 19 and 14, and they're not, it's not exactly electrifying when you look at that. But this is a Michigan team who also played in Vegas, by the way, against UNLV in that same uh, mm-hmm. tournament well, with Arizona and somebody else as well. Um, this was a Michigan team that was highly touted coming into the season. We're yeah, talking about a team that was a top five team. Top five ranked, yeah. Had, had big expectations. Juwan Howard thought, to, you know, obviously going back to his alma mater, there's going to be a lot of tension there. But they've got talent. When you look at Diabate, when you look at Dickinson, when you look at Brooks, who had a huge game in their last yeah. matchup in the, in the NCAA tournament, uh, this is a Michigan team that can score. And if they're able to kind of uh, have offensive efficiency and go out there and get buckets when they need it against Villanova, I think it's going to be a kind of a back-and-forth affair. I don't expect a lot of defense in this game. Uh, Villanova right now sitting as a five-point favorite, G-Man. And they're the number two seed, so I guess it's justified. But uh, do you give Michigan a chance in this matchup? I do. Uh, and I, I think they've earned it. I mean... You know they gave up that big lead against Indiana in the, in, in the Big Ten mm-hmm. champ. You know in the conference tournament. So, um, but what they've been able to prove these first two games has been. I mean they played a very good Colorado State team. You know uh, ranked higher than them. Like, are, were they really an eleven seed? I don't think so. No, yeah. I, th- I think that you know they got a little disrespect there, and I, and I think they probably got in their shorts a little bit and 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 put a little angst into them. But they're going to have to shoot better from the three point range. It's going it's all about their guard play, um, and uh, their defensive rebounding has been very very good. Third thirty each game against uh, Tennessee, and that Tennessee game. Uh, they shot 50% in both games. Three-point range, again, though, uh, 37%. So they're going to have to shoot better from the arc. It's going to be fun to see uh, that. I mean, you talk about on the boards, right, and the, the Windex action in this yeah. game. Because you've got uh, Jermaine Samuels is, is excellent when it comes to the boards for the Wildcats. And then Hunter Dickinson, you know, uh, look, he, ha- I, he has his flaws, and I, and I question sure. whether or not he's going to be really a viable NBA talent. But uh, when it comes to rebounding, that guy's solid, and yep. he can, he's, he's going to be uh, a lot of fun to watch, too. But uh, the, the all-everything, Colin Gillespie is going to be huge for Villanova in this game. If, he, if Colin Gillespie goes out and drops a 30 spot on game Michigan, over. then over. it's going to be really tough for Michigan to kind of yeah. keep up with that. Uh, that being said, though, I mean, it's going to be uh, – this is another matchup, I think. Look, you see two, and then you see 11, and you think, oh, my gosh, how's Villanova not a double-digit favorite right. in this game? Not the case at all, because as you pointed out, and as I pointed out a couple times uh, throughout this week uh, across the airwaves, I think Michigan is under is uh, is underseeded at right. eleven, and I think uh, Villanova spot on. So it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of check out that whole situation in the nightcaps. Oh, matchup of uh, two, uh, we we go back to the chalk. G-Man, with uh, Duke taking on Texas Tech, the Blue Devils. You mentioned it in kind of a knockdown, drag-out fight with another Blue Blood program. Look, I'm kind of biased. I'm a Michigan State guy, so I'm going to call Michigan State a Blue Blood, even though maybe they're not. But uh, Michigan State held their own in that matchup. Uh, The Spartans... game until three minutes left in that game. The whole dialogue before the game started was, can Michigan State be, be good enough on the offensive end 
right. to kind of hang with Duke, right? Mm-hmm. Are they going to find guys? Are you know is Max Christie and uh, and and uh, Hauser and some of these guys are they going to be able to find baskets against Duke? Because from a talent standpoint, right, the analysis was spot on. Duke has more players, okay, sure. than Michigan State. Michigan State, certain years, yeah, they're they're a Final Four contending team. That's not this season. They aren't that this year. Right. Okay. They haven't been all year. They've lost to some teams they have no business losing to. And they've had a couple of surprise wins. They've knocked off Purdue in a game. They've, uh, they've beaten some quality basketball teams also. But uh, for the most part, they've been kind of an, an average to above average team. Not, not going to you know, make a lot of noise when it came to the NCAA tournament. And that was the case this year. Look, they got the win against Davidson in, in the first round. Right. You know, and whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a 7 against a 10. And uh, a lot of times you'll see upsets in those kinds of games. Still, Davidson Did, put up a heck Davidson of a fight, put up a fight yeah, right? and made them earn it. They, they, they made Michigan State earn that game. Yeah. So that was the question going into the Michigan State-Duke game. Obviously, also, this, this, this pressure, right? Yeah. This is the way I look at it. Look, a lot, there's a lot of teams left still in the NCAA tournament, 16 teams, right? <laughs> there was uh, 68 to start last week. Out of all the teams in college basketball, the team that has the most pressure on them are the Duke Blue Devils. Absolutely. Why? Because Coach K... The next game he loses is his last. Yes. Okay, so the Blue Devils, uh, there's no room for error for the players, right? Because once the game, the clock goes to zero, and they're, if they're on the losing end, the players are going to get asked the questions, uh, you know, what do you feel about Coach K? He's right. done, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to be a part of so that. So d- does that come into play tonight in a matchup against the Red Raiders, who, like we pointed out to start the segment mm-hmm. off, Aren't going to be afraid of Duke, okay? Right. They're going to go out there and they're going to probably play their best game. Does it become a factor? Is it something that can weigh on the Duke players in this matchup against the Red Raiders? I think it only does if if it's like you know, ten minutes or less, and and like the writing's almost on the wall. Like Texas Tech's been taken to them the whole game, and all of a sudden you know they're down by four, and then maybe they're down by six, and then maybe just a little bit of of chokeness comes into them. You know, their arms start getting a little bit short, um, and 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 just. Uh, start withdrawing a little bit um or it goes exactly the opposite it's like we can't let coach k lose you know i'm not going to be on the court with coach k's last game that he's going to lose and i'm not going to lose if i lose it i'm going to lose it in the final four or in the championship game i'm not going to lose it in the sweet 16 so he can go both ways and he's got enough blue chippers on there and I really didn't watch too much of their season this year because I'm, I'm not a big Duke fan, um, and uh, you know the farewell tour kind of thing. But they showed me a little bit something against Michigan State that they do have some players that can put the ball into the hoop. Uh, they can handle a little, uh, a, a little bit of the pressure, um, and we'll, we'll just see. I mean, I can't wait to see it unfold. Unfortunately, I'm going to be at the hockey game watching it, yeah. so I'm going to be watching it on the on the app. So, uh, but Duke. You know, Michigan State played a heck of a game last week. They held them 5 for 13 for three-point range. So Duke's got to have a better game from three-point range. Um, and they got to keep their, ten, their turnovers to right around 10 or less. And that's, that's going to be their you know, equation to victory. A big key for the Blue Devils is going to be which Paolo Banchero shows up, in sure. my opinion. And also Wendell Moore Jr. Wendell Moore Jr. is kind of an X factor for me for Duke because when they win games and when they're playing well – he seems to have big nights, right? He goes out there, he'll get his 18, he'll get his 10 boards, his 5 assists. Right, him a little he bit. He seems very important to me for them. And so if both those guys are right in their head and they're out there being uh, being effective, 
I think that's going to be a big key for the Blue Devils in that matchup. Uh, we had another matchup as well, too, but uh, we're going to take it. What we'll do? We'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll be joined by Jamison Welsh on the other side. We'll talk some NCAA nice. tournament with Good. him. Also, he is uh, wired in on all things NBA as well, too. I don't know if, you, uh, if uh, the G-man's a big NBA guy, but uh, might have to bounce a couple of uh, things off of uh, Jamison when it comes to the guys in the association. It's the TC Mark Show coming your way live on a Thursday. What we do here, we do some, uh, we do some great adjustment. We do some navigation, right? We were supposed to have our guy, the coach, uh, the, the doctor, I should say, T.C. Martin on the show, but, uh, you know, kind of uh, we, had, we had a little uh, uh, some, some uh, crazy things happen as far as uh, uh, his, his travel situation. So, unfortunately, we're not going to have T.C. on tomorrow, but we'll have him on tomorrow for the show. So, we'll be live at the Cosmo for that show. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming away live here on a Thursday. We'll be reacting right after this. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin. Rolling through Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Coming your way live, www.thetcmartinshow.com, KSHB and 1400. Here in Las Vegas, Chris Wynn, along with the G-Man, Gilby here live, and Numchuck as the doctor. T.C. Martin is in San Francisco and uh, is driving to the arena as we speak as the Chase Center will be home to the West Region of the Sweet 16. And game number one tips off tonight just after 4 o'clock with Gonzaga taking on Arkansas. We're talking some hoops, myself, G-Man, and uh, happy to be joined right now by one of our favorites. Does a tremendous job. And uh, we'll be getting to him momentarily regarding both the Sweet 16 as well as uh, all things the big dance. And the NBA, too, of course. The NBA kind of rolling down the stretch here, rolling towards the playoffs. And uh, a lot of intriguing storylines on that front as well, too, when it comes to the association. I heard that New York just uh, rescinded the ban on unvaccinated people, so I have a feeling that we're going to see a little Kyrie Irving. Yes, and uh, we'll get a chance to talk to uh, our next guest about that. And that is, of course, Jameson Welsh. Uh, does a tremendous job covering all things hoops. If, it's, if you're talking basketball, this is a guy you want on the air. Jameson Welsh joining us here live. Follow him on Twitter at TheJameson with two E's. On Twitter, everybody, Jamison Wells. Jamison, we appreciate you spending some time. Thanks for joining us. Man, not a problem, Chris. Thanks for having me as always. Definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, as, as, as you expect, of course, when the Sweet 16 gets rolling, uh, a lot of hoops is going down. And uh, look, no question about it, in the next uh, two days, you've got eight basketball games. You've got a lot of prominent programs that uh, are continuously in the mix when you're talking about Duke, when you're talking about Arizona, and you're talking about some of the Friday matchups with North Carolina, UCLA, and of course, uh, you know, teams like uh, Kansas as well as Purdue, and uh, even on Thursday with Michigan and uh, Villanova, as well as uh, the Gonzaga-Arkansas game. A lot of interesting storylines, to say the least, right, Jameson, when you're talking about the Sweet 16. It's a perfect mix. You have a lot of blue bloods, and you have a Cinderella story. Like that's the perfect mix of everybody involved. Whether it's the TV networks, the marketers, the sponsors, it's a perfect mix. You got the blue bloods, everybody knows and follows. You got the Cinderella story where you got to Google where the school is located at in St. Peter's. Yeah. It's the best of both worlds. It's it's great. So that's why to me, like that's why March Madness never loses. It's it's always a win win for everybody involved. It's good for the people who watch. It's good for the betters. It's good for everybody. So. Uh, but having the Blue Bloods, this is the weekend 
where it separates everybody from everybody. And I think we're going to see, uh, especially tonight, you're going to see the dominant. Like I expect Gonzaga to win big tonight. Like you're going to see the the difference between the really good teams and okay teams. So that's the difference. The Bulldogs right now sitting at uh, on William Hill, a nine and a half point favorite in that matchup against the Razorbacks. It's going to be a lot of fun here in this very first game, right, Jameson? You talked about it, the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, trying to break through as that team from a non-Power 5 conference since UNLV back in 1990 to win a national championship, and they've got the horses to do it, don't they, Jameson? This is a team that can absolutely make their way through the rest of both this weekend and, of course, moving into next weekend and possibly win a national championship. I mean, they're probably the most talented team left. So you absolutely, they definitely have the horses, but those horses got to come to play. Those horses got to be ready and hitting on all cylinders. It doesn't always happen that way. Like, I look at Chet having nine points versus Memphis. That's not the recipe for success. Like, that's not going to always get it done. If he's your best player, if he's your main guy, you have to make sure that he gets off. He has to be dominant on both ends, not just defensively to win a championship, but also college is a guard game. As much as, you know, Gonzaga's front court is really good their guards have to play well. And, you know, this is the time of year in March where if you have really good guard play, the sky's the limit. So it's on Nimhard, It's on uh, local product, Strother. It's on a lot of different guys there. Even some of their backup guards have to play well when they come in because versus Memphis, Memphis gave them all they can handle. They were lucky to pull away from that game. Uh, it's interesting to see what happens tonight and also on Saturday, probably versus Duke. Or, ah, Dex Tech may win that game, but we'll take one game at a time. It's definitely interesting to see what happens tonight. On the other side of things, I'm curious about your perspective on Eric Musselman. Now, this is somebody, obviously, who is an assistant coach at the NBA level. We are all familiar with him, obviously, because he coached here in the Mountain West for a period of time. And now he is in the SEC where, you know, look, Arkansas, all due respect to that program, hasn't necessarily been prominent since the mid-'90s when they won that national championship, you know, with that, uh, that great team with Scotty Thurman and, and, uh, and Todd Day and, and uh, across the board. But, uh, you know, he's, now he's at Arkansas. Uh, is he a guy that can bring that program back up into the mix where you're talking about them with the likes of Kentucky and uh, some of the other powers in the SEC? I mean, it's a tough conference, but the way he recruits, the way he coaches, he's won everywhere he's gone. And it's unfortunate because he had a chance to be the UNLV coach way back when. But that's a different conversation for a different day. However, um, he gets a lot of oldie but goodies in the transfer portal and gets a lot of guys with experience, and he does very well with them once he gets them. So uh, he's a guy that's going to do well wherever he goes. However, the SEC is a different beast because there's other programs that are stronger just with natural resources and bigger names. However, however, with that being said, um, it's a tournament. I think the longer we go on with the tournament the way it is, every school has a chance that has regular talent. So if you're like an Arkansas, you have top 25 talent, maybe even top 20 talent, you have a shot because the playing field even with the COVID year and the portal, you have a lot of teams that are older, and the, the, the style of play, I should say the style of play, the length of play is a lot longer than it used to be because it used to be, oh, you've had a few seniors on your team that play, played three years prior. Now you got guys that have played five and six years, and that's the difference. When you got a, one of those smaller schools that have a lot of those six-year seniors on it, it's a different situation. So they know how to play. They're talented. It's a really tough situation for a lot of other programs. So a guy like Musselman who gets transfers and relies on older players, it's a very good situation for him. 
Jamison Welsh joining us here live on the T.C. Martin Show. We're talking some NCAA March Madness as uh, you've got four matchups tonight. Uh, a couple of games in which there's chalk, of course, in the West region across the board. But uh, another matchup that's intriguing as all get out, Jamison, is this Michigan-Villanova matchup. Now, look, Michigan was a team going into the season, was thought to be a national championship contender, right? Was highly touted uh, as basically a top-five team in the country. It's not uh, outrageous for me to say that there's been a little bit of, of adversity up there in Ann Arbor this year with uh, Juwan Howard and this Michigan basketball team. But uh, myself and the G-Man just talked about this from a point spread standpoint. You see a number two seed against a number 11, you think, okay, automatic double-digit you know, uh, uh, underdog when you talk about the Wolverines. But that's probably not the case, right, Jamison, when you look at this Michigan well, team? The main adversity Michigan had this year wasn't the Shawan situation with Wisconsin's coaching staff and all that. Mm-hmm. That happened. I mean, they were a bubble team when that happened. Like people don't remember, like they were squarely a bubble team. Yeah. However, I mean, they were seventeen and fourteen in the regular season, so that was most of the adversity. However, here's the situation with Michigan: they are coming off a team that overachieved last year. Now you look at the roster; they bring in a five-star guy. They have their best player coming back. They lose a couple guys. Uh, they really didn't upgrade the point guard. Frankie Collins, who is from Vegas or played his high school ball in Vegas, should have probably been playing a lot more. But unfortunately, that didn't happen for whatever reasons. But they found their groove late, and it does happen that way. But I think their biggest adversity was some of their roster additions didn't pan out as they had planned to. When you look at a guy um, that brought in a six-year point guard from Coastal Carolina, he wasn't that good. And I think they expected more out of him. I think the the uh, guy from Canada, his name escapes me at the moment, but uh, they brought him in. It was Houston. Uh, they brought him in to be a guy, and he has not been. He's been very inconsistent. And that's been their biggest issue more than anything is this inconsistency of all their role players outside of the big fella in the middle. That's been their biggest issue. But they found a way to get it done, and here they are on the Sweet 16, and they have a very good shot versus Villanova. Uh, you know, the big fella did say, like, it's like going against a, a better version of Iowa. And it's kind of right because Villanova doesn't turn the ball over. They're very fundamentally sound. They are more athletic. But, you know, they're a very strong team. So, yeah, he has a very good point. It's going to be very interesting to see that matchup. We talked about the Blue Bloods, Jameson. Of course, one of those teams resides in Durham, North Carolina. I'm talking about the Duke Blue Devils. They take on Texas Tech tonight in the uh, one of the later matchups. This is a Duke Blue Devil team that uh, got into a tussle with uh, the Michigan State Spartans this past weekend in the second round game. We're able to kind of prevail in that game with a 20-6 to run down the stretch in that one. Duke does have their players, but they also have this you know storyline where Coach K, it's his swan song. And uh, I talked to the G-Men about this as well, too. Uh, there is pressure on this Duke Blue Devil squad because their coach is calling it quits after this season. I mean, I don't know how much pressure it is just based mm-hmm. off of the situation because here's the thing. Yeah. They've already lost the Carolina last game he coached at, the, um, at Cameron Indoor. Yeah. They lost the last ACC championship game he coached. So I don't know how much pressure, uh, how much more pressure it is. Like, I think we're kind of at the moment where things just are what they are right now. I think we're just in a situation where, hey, this is what it is, and whatever happens, happens. The Michigan State kind of let them off the ropes the other day, on Sunday. They had a chance. They were up five with the ball under five minutes to go and didn't really get good possessions, and that was kind of their undoing. Texas Tech is a better basketball team. They're not as explosive and not as talented as Michigan State is, but they have a really good chance to beat Duke tonight. 
Um, but we'll see what happens. I don't think this is a classic Duke team. I don't think this is one of their better teams. Uh, they have some talent on there, no doubt. But it's not like one of their – it's not 2015 where they got like three NBA guys, you know, starting for them off time. I don't see that. But they have a really good shot. Um, you know, I think anyone who's left outside of St. Peter's really has a legit shot to cut down the nets. It's based off the talent and the way the game is played. I almost feel like when I take a look at the final matchup of the night tonight, that's it's almost like something's got to give when I see these two teams because there's just been a lot of love being thrown the Houston Cougars way, and I get it, I understand it, right? When you you know when you got Edwards and and Carlton as well as uh, Sheed playing really well as they are, and uh, this is a team that's 31 and five and has been solid all year long. I get that, but they're also playing an Arizona team. I think that's really been on a mission. Let's be straight up about it. I mean, obviously, when you're talking about Benedict, you know, the, uh, out there dropping uh, almost 18 a game, and you're talking about, uh, you know, Coloco as well as Kreeza uh, uh, playing really well, th- it, this is kind of a buzzsaw with this Arizona team. Do you think this could, this, it could be a game that could end up uh, getting away from the Houston Cougars, or do you think that this is uh, a matchup that could, you know, go down to the wire here to cap off the action on a Thursday night? It feels like Arizona survived their scare, just like mm-hmm. Duke survived theirs, just like Gonzaga survived theirs. Um, that's what happens in the tournament. That second round is always a tricky matchup because even though a team's an eight or a nine seed where you're a high or number one or a number two seed, those teams are really good teams. They just may have been inconsistent or may have had a bad stretch of the season. Those aren't bad teams. So when you run up against them in a neutral site, anything can happen. That's why those games are so close. It wasn't like, yeah, Duke's a better team than Michigan State. And, of course, Arizona's better than TCU. But on a neutral court in the middle of March, who knows what's going to happen. And that's why those games end up being close. But I think Arizona's a better overall team. And I do think them being able to show, saying, hey, you guys aren't invincible. You guys almost lost on Sunday. You got to tighten this, this, this up. I do think they need to bench Kerr if he's not 100% healthy. Having a guy at that position that is not 100% he is a liability for your team because if somebody, if you can attack him off the dribble consistently, that's a huge problem. And that's something that you, that other teams are going to do going forward. Houston has one of the best coaches left in the country coaching in Kelvin Sampson. And best believe that coaching staff is going to find a way to put him in all the action if necessary. So it's going to be interesting to see how Arizona counteracts that. Jamison Welsh talking hoops with us here live on the T.C. Martin Show. Chris Wynn, as well as the G-Man here live in studio in Las Vegas. You talked about it at the top of this segment, Jamison. The big Cinderella's out there, right? Three double-digit seeds will be playing tomorrow night in the Sweet 16. And to tip it all off is going to be that matchup between the Boilermakers, a number three seed, taking on St. Peter's at number 15, 21-11. St. Peter's was this season, and uh, it's a big-time double-digit spread. We're looking at uh, 12.5-point favorites for Purdue in this matchup. Is this the game, Jamison, where Cinderella's slipper comes falling off after uh, an impressive run last weekend for St. Peter's? Yeah, Purdue has a top-five NBA pick on their team, and Purdue's a really good team. Um, Interesting coach. Purdue's coach is good, but um, we'll see. Purdue got to go out their own way. This is their time. The way the bracket's looking, they have a good chance to get to a Final Four. So they better take advantage of it. I, I do think they get through St. Peter's. I think when you get that first weekend away and you're able to really buckle down and have all your scouts and all your coaches key in on an opponent, it changes things. That first weekend's tough because, remember, sometimes you got that last night game and then you come back in like 36 hours. 
and then you got to prepare for a team. So that's why a lot of upsets happen back-to-back because you don't have a lot of time to prepare, and you kind of get caught off guard. But if you get three or four or five days to prepare for an opponent, things change. So it would not surprise me if Purdue blows out St. Peter's just because of the preparation time and the talent gap. However, St. Peter's is well-coached as well with Shaheen Holloway, and they've played very well in this tournament. So we'll see what happens. I hope we get a close game. But if history is anything, we probably get Purdue by 15-plus. In another matchup in the Midwest in that game on Friday, you've got a blue blood, obviously, in the Kansas Jayhawks, number one seed overall. They're taking on Providence. Now, Friars, I have to admit, Jameson and G-Man, I haven't thought about Providence basketball, to be honest with you, since Eric Williams was there back, what, late 90s for uh, Providence. And then, of course, you can go back even further when you want to talk Providence hoops to the Matt Palazzi, Billy Donovan, Rick Bettino, you know, Final Four team. That's what I, you know, that's, that's kind of my recollection as someone who is in my fifth decade and has followed college basketball since 1980 I this is now kind of a, a reemergence, I guess I would say of Providence when it comes to uh, the national scene but it's going to be a fun matchup between the Friars and the Jayhawks coming up on Friday night it's going to be a, it's going to be a good matchup you also forgot Marshawn Brooks who was a very good scorer That's there as well right. yes um, but yes it's going to be a good matchup and Providence has been overlooked the whole season they won the Big East this year the regular season they won that conference obviously Villanova's still playing UConn is almost back, but they won that conference, and they are, no one's talking about them. People are talking about Villanova, and they should. Villanova's a great brand and a top-ten brand in the sport right now, so I get it. But Providence has kind of been under the radar. They're very well coached, uh, very good situation there. They're going to give Kansas all they can handle. We're not surprised if they beat Kansas, to be honest with you. They really wouldn't. They're that well coached. They're that good. If you can win the Big East regular season title, you're not just some, you know, walkover team that's just not going to be the case so we'll definitely see i think we have some good games coming up both tonight and tomorrow night however it's very odd that we have so many double digit seeds but with that being said miami is not a normal 10 seed iowa state got off to a very good start this season and kind of fell down the way that normally doesn't happen like those teams normally aren't that high of a seed but that's just how this year shook out Jamison Welsh joins us here live on the T.C. Martin Show. I want to kind of switch gears, Jamison, because we've got about uh, four and a half minutes left in the show. I want to talk some NBA with you because, uh, obviously, as we roll down the stretch here, it's going to be a lot of fun to see uh, kind of how things shift around with, with respect to both the Western Conference and Eastern Conference from a playoff standpoint. But, obviously, the big news, and uh, the G-Men uh, alerted us to this here at uh, the top of the uh, second hour of the show, Kyrie Irving. There, obviously, with the Brooklyn Nets uh, because of uh, what the powers that be there in New York City. And uh, as far as COVID-19 is concerned, there have been some changes. And uh, now he will have the opportunity to be able to play home games there because of, you know, we had kind of, uh, you know, the whole weird situation where he's able to play on the road and he's able to actually sit in the stands in New York, but he can't actually play in the games. Uh, what do you think this means for the uh, Brooklyn Nets and as far as uh, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the makeup of that locker room? Now that Kyrie's actually going to be able to be there for every game, as opposed to just uh, you know the games on the road, it's too little, too late. Um, he's a great player. Him and Kevin Durant give you a chance in every game. So that's how good they are offensively. However, Ben Simmons not being healthy and either coming back for the playoffs or not going to come back at all this year hurts them more than anything. When you have three max players, you cannot not have one play. Like if you're missing one. It's damn near impossible to win a championship. It's just how it goes. And they didn't formulate that roster 
to just get to the first round or get to the second round. They made that group to try to win a championship. And if they're not going to do that, it's a lost cause. Now, it's great to see Kyrie play. He's had a really good season when he's played thus far. And I'm not going to get into all the rules and why he didn't play. That's a totally different discussion for a totally different day. However, with that being said, um, him and Kevin Durant can get a game or two off of anyone by themselves. However, when it comes to defense, when it comes to other guys stepping up, they're going to need performances from other guys that I don't think they can get. They also miss Joe Harris, who's been out for basically the whole year with an ankle, with a really bad ankle injury, if I'm not mistaken. And they've missed his production because he was giving them a lot of good production last season up until the playoffs. Without him, without Ben Simmons, it's going to be very, very difficult to get to where they're trying to get to. But, hey, the playoffs, you just never know. Certain matchups go a certain way. Who knows? But right now, I think it's a little too little too late. Jameson, uh, I want to bring up uh, the Miami Heat last night. I, I'm not sure. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you saw it, uh, that uh, blow up on the bench, and there was a fight behind the bench. And you got Miami there. You got the Sixers, and 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 you got the Bucks all fighting for that top seed and 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 uh, on the East. And you know they kind of. Uh, my, Low played it a little bit in the, in the locker room and in the press conference after. But what do you think is going on down there? Especially being you know the one seed now and you're and you're and you're leading the Eastern Conference and then all of a sudden this happens. Is it something that can divide the locker room or do you think it can bring it together? Um, here's the thing. It's the Heat, man. Like it's not a normal team. The Heat kind of thrive off being you know tough people to deal with, people with edges. I was going to use some other phrases, but we're on live and I'm not going to get nobody fined or fired. <laughs> But they have a way of – they have a lot of the same kind of guys on their roster. P.J. Tucker and Udonis Haslam are guys that are basically underappreciated guys, undersized guys that had to scrap and claw to get to where they're at. Jimmy Butler is a guy that was a late first round that ended up being a Supermax-type player. They have a bunch of guys that were either undrafted or afterthoughts, and they kind of found a way to get there. They had an underperforming, underwhelming performance last night, and that kind of brought out some emotions. It is what it is. The NBA, we've all got to see it. Normally that happens in the locker room. We just got to see it last night on the bench. That's all. But that happens all the time. He's the Jameson. You can follow him on Twitter at with two E's. The Jameson. Jameson Welsh joining us here live is tremendous talking all things hoops. Jameson, we really appreciate you spending some time up against it from a uh, standpoint of uh, we're wrapping things up on the show. But uh, really glad you are able to join us tonight. We'll hopefully uh, talk to you again soon, okay? Oh, not a problem. Thanks for having me as always. Definitely appreciate it. Thanks, Jameson. Jameson Welsh there and uh, does a tremendous uh, – we call him our NBA insider, but he, he can talk all hoops. He's not afraid to do it up. Myself, the G-Men, as well as Numchuck, thanks to you guys. Thanks to our guest, Jameson Welsh, as well as uh, Jesse Merrick from News 3 joining us. G-Man, give me a score tonight. What's going down? Nashville Predators, Vegas Golden Knights. Who wins? Four two nights. Let's 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 give him one. I'm, I'm pretty close. To I'm that. bringing my roommate. He's been three and all the last three games he went to. So I'm taking him again today because we need that. We need that victory tonight. I think the scoreboard's getting lit up, my friend. Oh. Six four. Woo. Vegas gets the win. Take the over. I'm calling a, I'm calling a two goal game, two goal game for Jonathan Marcheseau. He has a two goal game. He might have like five points in this Woo. game. All right. And, I hope uh, you're right. And we'll see who ends up in net.
for the Vegas Golden Knights. Myself, the G-Man, will be there live at T-Mobile Arena for that one. Been a lot of fun on your Thursday. Make sure you go to www.thetcmartshow.com. Archives are up all the time. Also, great storylines across the sporting world there. T.C. Martin is live in San Francisco. We will be back tomorrow live from the Cosmo down on the Las Vegas Strip talking all things sports and, of course, Sweet 16, as well as all the weekend action in sports. For the G-Man, for Nunchuck, I'm Chris Wynn. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.